glory. I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your popcorn ready? I came out the wrong line already. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored if you played football for this team. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me. Golly. Over the tackle of the 40-yard line. Who can make a play? I can. Who can make a play? I can. Today's episode here is going to be part two of the AFC North episode where me and Dennis will break down the Cleveland Browns and the Cincinnati Bengals. Of course, most of this episode was pre-recorded before the Odell Beckham Jr. trade went down, so holy crap. As a Browns fan, I could not be more thrilled to have this trade go down. Just amazing, guys. John Dorsey is seriously the GOAT, the greatest of all time. We're obviously, as Browns fans, thrilled to have him on the team. Uh, I mean, I cannot imagine how good and how much fun this offense is going to be able uh, to watch this year. How how much how excited I am to watch this offense, guys. I'm sorry, can't even speak of how excited I am. So, I was recording this obviously a little bit after the trade happened. Uh, you're going to see obviously a lot of reaction stuff go down throughout the next couple of days with this trade. I just wanted to give you guys a heads up, obviously, again, that most of this episode was pre-recorded. Uh, due to me having some family stuff going on, uh, Dennis joined me uh, actually earlier in the week, actually before the Antonio Brown trade even went down, so we can talk about the AFC North. So when you guys hear this, I just don't want you guys to think of why they completely avoided the Odell Beckham thing. No, it's because it uh, actually happened ahead of time, so I just wanted to give you guys a heads up. I'm definitely thrilled. Again, obviously, most of you listening know I'm a huge Browns fan, so having him, Jarvis Landry, David and Joe Antonio Callaway, Rashard Higgins, and you got to add in Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Oh, my God, this offense is going to be beautiful behind Freddie Kitchen next year. I cannot wait to talk about it. We will break it down in the free agent episode, which we will be recording in just a couple of days with a special guest as well. Uh, so super excited about that. Just want to give you guys a heads up again one more time. We know it happened, uh, and you guys will get all of our reaction on that episode. Uh, so just – Make sure to check that out on, uh, obviously, all of this stuff not only is brought to you guys by the Pulse Podcasting Network, um, but be your host at Sports Fanatic MB, Mr. Matt Bruning, and, of course, Tix Blitz. Have you been searching for the best ticket deals around? Well, look no further. With TixFlix, the price you see is the price you pay. And TixFlix just happens to have over $6 billion in ticket inventory just waiting for you. They absolutely mean it when they say every ticket every venue, everywhere. And you can save even more with promo code PULSE in all caps to save you 5% off your total purchase. Just go to TixFlix.com and click the search bar. Search events based on your geographic location, pick the show you want, and BAM! It's showtime. Sporting events, Broadway shows, concerts, and more with TixFlix.com. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the email newsletter so you can stay up to date on the latest news and savings with TixFlix. That's TixFlix.com. T-I-X-D-L-I-T-Z dot com. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere. Make sure to use our promo code again there for any tickets that you guys get here. You get 5% off. It is Pulse, capital P-U-L-S-E, on the site to get you guys uh, 5% off. Again, anything sports-related, anything concert-related, stuff like Comic-Con, anything like that, you guys can use this website. It's awesome. Definitely check it out. Without further ado, Let's go ahead and play the pre-recorded episode. And we're back, guys. We're back to continue our AFC North Division breakdown. Dennis is here with me. Just refilled the coffee, so he is ready to go. Isn't that right, Dennis? I am ready to go. And we're going to jump in right now and talk about the best team in the AFC North and possibly the best team in all NFL if you don't count championships. But they're by far, in my opinion, at least the best team. And that's the Cleveland Browns. We saw them have a, a really good year based on what we've seen the past decade, obviously. And, and the big question is going to be, it's Baker time, right? Is it, is it time for Baker to shine? Is he up to it? Can he handle it? We now finally have some real pressure and expectations on the Cleveland Browns to be a winning and playoff team. Do you think Baker lives up to that hype? Warm-ups, not really, but when I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. You know, I definitely think he's up to the challenge. Football is a is the ultimate team sport. Just because Baker 
lives up to the hype doesn't mean that a breakdown somewhere else can't sort of throw things off kilter. Uh, but the team buys into Baker and his leadership. I think the team buys into Freddie Kitchens and John Dorsey. And they're making good decisions and, and bringing good players in and letting them play. So I'm kind of excited to see how this Olivier Vernon trade works out. It's a, a little bit disconcerting because Austin Corbett struggled a little bit last year. He wasn't. He definitely wasn't a, a tackle and didn't win the guard spot either, uh, served in a backup role. And they essentially sent the best pass-blocking guard in the NFL to the Giants for Vernon with the expectation that Corbett is going to replace him. So Corbett's got to put his big boy pants on and uh, get, to, get to work here and take care of business. So I think he's up to it, but we'll have to wait. Yeah, yeah. So for me on Baker, um, I do think that he's up for it, and I think he's ready. I think he showed that last year. He came in obviously in, in an adverse situation with with Tyrod going out being hurt, and we saw it all year. He didn't have, you know, a lot of people like to go back and look at Baker and be like, "Oh my God, he had this phenomenal rookie season," and he was great. Do not get me wrong on that, but there were times that he struggled, and I thought that was the best part about it. Though he always bounced back. We have seen, as I know you are a Browns fan as well, a litany of rookie quarterbacks come through here, struggle, and never get it right. Now, some of that is based exactly on what you were just talking about, though. The team is built around them. This is by far one of the best Browns teams we have seen in a long time. Not just offensively, but they're improving defensively as well. That's why I think Baker will be just fine. He's showed that he can bounce back. He's showed he knows what he's, he's doing out there. The offense will amazing. I've talked about it many times. They were ranked behind the greatest show on turf Rams as the most explosive offense last year when Freddie Kitchens took over. I think that that's huge. Obviously, moving forward, and we'll touch on that in just a minute, but I think those two guys working together in unison I think is going to continue to allow Baker to shine. I don't think he's going to have any issues with expectations or pressure because it's not like he came from some – you know, and the words that he likes to use, cookie cutter. Uh, no, he didn't come from a cookie cutter program in college either. It's not like he was playing for Boise State or some other random school that that may have a chance to do something, um, but is not necessarily a, a high, high, a high. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. A, a school that has a lot of expectations on it. Oklahoma does. Oklahoma has a lot of expectations on it. He took him to the playoffs. He almost beat Georgia in a playoff game to go play for a national championship game. He has the pedigree. I think he's going to be just fine moving forward. You just talked about, obviously, them losing uh, Zeitler. So some of the well, – no, you know what? Before we get to that, let's talk about the coaching changes because this – the next two teams that we're going to talk about here on this podcast have made a lot of changes. So the coaching changes for the Browns is obviously we saw Hugh leave last year. We saw uh, Greg Williams. Williams come in and be the head coach, who I thought actually did a really good job. Freddie Kitchens took over as the offensive coordinator, uh, and he obviously did a phenomenal job, as I just touched on. He has then been promoted and is now the head coach, which I thought was a phenomenal and ballsy hire by John Dorsey. A lot of people did not think this was going to be a good hire. Um, you know, as uh, I know, as I'm sure you living in Ohio, you saw that everybody in Cleveland. Ohio was thrilled with this hire. Everywhere that I saw Browns fans, this is who we wanted. We wanted Freddie Kitchens. But a lot of people around the country did not think Freddie Kitchens was going to be able to be a head coach. We saw now that they have brought in Todd Munkin from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to help Freddie Kitchens run the offense. And then we see that they brought in Steve Wilkes, who was the head coach for the Arizona Cardinals last year, who got ousted after one year, which I thought was messed up. But we addressed that on the Arizona Cardinals side on the NFC West podcast. Um, Steve Wilkes has always run a very good defense. Now, the Arizona Cardinals defense struggled last year, but every year that he was in Carolina and they had a revolving door pieces, it wasn't always just the same defense. Uh, he was always had his defense ranked in the top ten, especially when it came to the defensive backfield. His secondary was were always very very, very good, which I think speaks, uh, you know, wonders hopefully for Denzel Ward because I, I love Ward moving forward. But these coaching changes, your opinions on how you think this could help shape the Browns moving forward? I think that uh, Freddie was the right guy for the right job at the right time. He clearly uh, has a rapport with the leaders of the offense on the field and was putting them in position to make plays after he took over as the offensive coordinator. If he can do that from a head coaching perspective, 
the challenge for first-time head coaches isn't schemes usually. The challenge is can you administrate and manage the entire team? So as long as Freddie is able to know when to step back and when to step in, then I think he's going to be fine. Uh, it helps, you know, Wilkes has some head coaching experience and was a longtime defensive coordinator. Um, I, I don't remember off the top of my head who else is on their staff, but I think they've got a couple other former head coaches on the staff. And, and Dorsey is a pro's pro when it comes to being a general manager. And I think he will be able to provide Kitchens with the type of leadership and advice that he's going to need as a first-time head coach. Now, that could be optimism looking through rose-colored glasses as a Browns fan. But I think uh, I'm excited to see what happens. Could be a train wreck. Uh, but Munkin had the Tampa offense just uh, just rolling with, with Fitzmagic and Winston. We've got some pretty good weapons up here in Cleveland with with Njoku and uh, Callaway, Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb. I I'm excited to see what happens. And then, like you said, Wilkes runs a tight defense with extremely good defensive backs. And Denzel Ward, your uh, homer pick in the back row invitational. Um, it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Is, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he's a uh, top three cornerback this year. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely touch on the back row thing here at, at the end of the podcast because uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about that's a very interesting league so far. Uh, we both talked about our teams out on Twitter, obviously, for those of you who follow us. Um, you know, I do think that Freddie Kitchens is going to be fine. And I, like you were just saying, I agree. I, I like the fact that he brought in Wilkes, who has some head coaching experience, so I think he's going to be able to lean on him. The one thing I'll say about Freddie Kitchens, and, and I won't pretend like I know this, so I'm going to give a shout-out to who I heard it from. If any of you in Cleveland, I would imagine, know who Hayden Grove is. He works for Cleveland.com. He's a very accomplished and very good reporter up there. Covers all the Cleveland teams. Uh, I think he does a really good job. He's someone I follow. Uh, Andy and Jared, who do the podcast with our network, Cleveland and Beyond, their Cleveland-based podcast, they were able to get him on there as a guest, and he talked about Freddie Kitchens. He is beloved in that fr in that franchise by everybody because of the person that he is. I think the reason so many people there love him and everything is because he relates to the players. He, he talked about um, in an interview that I actually went and looked up and read. It's a very good interview where Freddie Kitchens went, and he just went and hung out with Miles Garrett. He found out that Miles Garrett likes to play pool, and they just went and hung out and played pool. And he talked to Miles Garrett about what – Garrett expects from his career what he wants to do, things that Freddie Kitchens can do to help him. And this was before he was ever even the head coach. He was still an offensive coordinator at this time. That's the kind of stuff that Hugh Jackson never did. And I think that's what's going to help turn this franchise around because is Freddie Kitchens legitimately cares about the players. He's not afraid to cut through all the bullshit. Anybody who watches his press conferences sees it just speaks the truth. And I like that as well. He doesn't throw people under the bus. That's another thing that um, I think you can agree on. I know you've even brought up in the podcast. We've both talked about Hugh Jackson was someone who was constantly throwing his players under the bus for this and that. It was never his fault for whatever went on in Cleveland. Uh, and Freddie Kitchens doesn't do that. Anytime someone wanted to sling arrows at Baker Mayfield, Freddie Kitchens was standing right there behind him saying, nah, Baker's being Baker. I love this. I love that. And I think that's huge for this team. And it's great to see a head coach really kind of come out and be like that. It's been a long time since I can remember a head coach being that way. Uh, you know, Mike Pettin kind of comes to mind for me. I thought he was someone who was always very good at defending the players, and we just haven't seen that the past couple of years, obviously, with Hugh. Uh, so I really like that from Freddie Kitchens, and I want to see him succeed. As you were talking about with him and Todd Munkin, I do think he's going to need to rely on him a little bit more than it seems like he might. He's already come out and said that he wants to run the offense, which I get because the him and Baker were very successful last year. But as you touched on, um, I do think that he's going to have to rely on Todd Munkin a little bit and obviously Steve Wilkes to handle all of the defensive stuff, which he said he's going to do, uh, just because he has to focus on the bigger picture of the Browns. It can't just be about the offense. He's got to manage the clock worry about penalties, all that stuff. So uh, hopefully he'll get that together. It'll be interesting to see what happens this year, this being really his his first true year as an NFL head coach. Yeah, because as I look over the coaching staff, actually Wilkes is the only coach with head coaching experience on his staff. Uh -huh. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall on uh, Wilkes and uh, Dorsey to sort of 
make sure kitchen stays on task from the administrative part of uh, running the on-field team. Right. Yeah, and, and like I said, I think I want to say it was Kitchens, but it might have been Dorsey who who said in an interview that that's what he expects. Like I believe since him and Wilkes have met, he's already been kind of uh, getting in Wilkes's ear a little bit and trying to learn some of the nuances, and that that's what he said that he's going to lean on him a lot. That's why they were thrilled about bringing him in. I um, mean, I think that's interesting to hear because you don't always hear head coaches say stuff like that. When you see people get head coaching jobs, there are some head coaches out there who think they know it all and are perfectly good. And don't rely on anybody yeah. else. So, yeah. Uh, exactly. So it's it, it was is refreshing to see Freddie Kitchens come out and be like, "Hey, you know, I'm leaning on these other guys to to help me out and all this stuff." And I think that's what you need because just like the football team, as you said, is a team, and that's how you're going to win and lose. I think it's the same thing with the head coaches. You you can't do it all on your own. So you touched on uh, Olivier Vernon. Uh, obviously, they just made a trade for him with Kevin Zeitler. We'll get to that in just a minute because I, I don't know your exact opinion on it. So we'll get I'll get yours and I'll give mine. Uh, but some of the free agents, the biggest ones, uh, are obviously Brashad Perriman and Rashard H- Higgins. Now, Rashard Higgins was just tendered, which I thought was a phenomenal move by them because I do love Higgins. I know you do as well because uh, we've talked about him. I think he's a great piece in this offense, uh, someone that – doesn't get enough credit, I think, for some of the big plays that he makes at times. Um, Rashad Perriman, someone I hope that they bring back. They, I don't remember the exact number now, but since they traded Kevin Seidler, they actually got a little bit more cap room. Uh, I know last that we both looked, it was at about $77 million. I think it jumped up to over 80 now with moving Zeitler. Um, so that they did get a little bit more money. They released Jamie Collins. There's actually talk um, that they're going to let go of Kirksey as well. We'll see if that happens. I actually like Kirksey, so I hope they don't do that. Um, but I understood why they let go of Jamie Collins. Um, is as good of a linebacker as he was, I just don't think that he fit well in this system and fit with the Cleveland Browns. Um, and then obviously they traded yeah, especially Zeitler. at eleven million a year. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and obviously then they just traded Zeitler for Olivier Vernon. So, give me your thoughts on the free agency stuff first, and then we'll get into the trade. I know you kind of touched on it a little bit, but I want to get a little bit deeper into that. So, your thoughts on the free agents? Well, I think Paraman showed uh, that he has value to the team playing that deep threat role, the John Brown kind of, I'm going to take the top off the defense, which is which which it is a valuable thing to have. But that being said, he's, it doesn't really make him fantasy relevant. Right. Higgins kind of falls into the same category as Perriman when it comes to fantasy relevant. Yes, you, he's going to make some big plays for you, and he's going to get some clutch first downs. And being that wide receiver three, but they have Duke Johnson, whom there's rumors that he's on the move. Chubb caught the ball some. They've got Njoku. So Higgins, again, ends up being a better football player than a fantasy asset. Now, I could see if they decided to, let's say, they move on from Jarvis Landry. Uh-huh. You know, Higgins might be a guy that can take over that slot role, big slot. Um that Landry has been so good at. And I think part of Landry's challenges in Cleveland are that he wants to be an outside receiver, and I don't think he's good enough to consistently do it. And he's a volume guy, and I don't think our offense is going to give him that kind of volume that he was receiving in Miami. So Perriman and Higgins, I think, are both good guys to have on the team. I wouldn't necessarily be surprised to see them not bring uh, Perriman back because they can. I think they can find a lid lifter in the draft. So they're you know or free agency. But I also wouldn't be surprised if they take the approach of let's keep as much as we can consistent and bringing Perriman back, who was there for the last half of the year uh, and showed well, you know. That gives you all your top four wide receivers all back. And as long as uh, Jarvis doesn't lose his mind or Callaway doesn't get stoned, you've got a pretty solid receiving core there. Yeah. Uh, So the one thing I'll say on Perriman, uh, I agree with you. Um, 
I don't think he he's necessarily very fantasy relevant. He had a couple good games in there, obviously toward the end of the year. Um, the one thing I would say for Perriman, uh, we'll go back a lot to Terrell Pryor. Um, they do have the same agent, I believe it's Drew Rosenhaus. Terrell Pryor has openly admitted that he regrets leaving Cleveland because he had by far his best year here, and I think the same thing would happen for Rashad Perriman. Before we saw what happened with him last year, he was considered a bust by everybody based on what we saw in him in Baltimore. He wasn't considered a bust. He was a bust. Okay, exactly. So he kind of, I think, changed that narrative a little bit with Cleveland. So I do think that, in at least if I were Brashad Perriman, and, and taking completely my Cleveland bias out of it, I would do everything I could to come back. Because you, for whatever reason, developed that great chemistry with Baker, and you just worked well in this offense. Now I agree with you for fantasy I'm not sure it changes much because I think regardless, even if him being a deep threat, I think he's going to end up being the third or fourth option on the offense. The one thing I'll say on Higgins is I actually think Higgins has a chance to be fantasy relevant, but I'm talking deeper leagues and and leagues that I know a lot of the people who listen to this play. If you're someone who's got multiple flexes or, you know, three wide receiver sets, I do think that Higgins has a chance to be fantasy relevant. He was injured, obviously, last year. I think he missed three games, and he came back and was still dealing with an injury. Um, But obviously, before Freddie Kitchens took over, he only had the two big games, or decent games, with an 8.1 and 14.1 game. But then, when Kitchens took over, he had a 14-2, 15-10 and point game. Uh, Two of those, obviously, he scored touchdowns in, and then he did have a 4-point and a 1.9 game. Um, a 1.9 one, though, I think was the uh, the Denver Broncos game, which nobody really on the offense did good in that one. Um, Higgins, I think he, he's a he's very good in that offense with Jarvis on the outside and with with Callaway because Higgins, I think, is a really good slot receiver. Now, obviously, Jarvis Landry is better, and as you were talking about, that's kind of where Jarvis should be playing. But I think if Higgins is there, and obviously Landry's uh, want to play on the outside, I think is going to keep him out there. When it comes to, um, oh, well, no, I already touched on Brashad Perriman, so I'm not worried about that. There is one we forgot to bring up, though, and I apologize about that. Obviously, the Browns did bring in Kareem Hunt as well in the offseason as a free agent. Or not tech. Yeah, no, he was a free agent. He was uh, released. So that'll be interesting to see. We've already kind of addressed that on further pro- pod, uh, 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 earlier podcasts, so I, uh, we can both touch That's on it here. That's easy for you to say. What's that? Huh? Oh, no, nothing. I was joking. Oh, gotcha. Oh, that, uh, you know, we touched on it on an earlier podcast, but uh, we can both kind of re- reiterate it really quick here for me. I think he's going to obviously get somewhere between 8 to 10 games suspension. Um, I do think once he comes back, it'll be interesting to see how quickly he gets into the offense. When you're on the commissioner's uh, exempt list, you cannot do anything with the team. So he's not allowed to be anywhere near the Browns until he comes off that. And I believe once you're suspended, it's the same thing. So he won't actually be able to come into the team till at best week nine. So you're probably looking at at least two or three weeks to get into into shape. So you're looking at probably not really having him at all for fantasy. Uh, at best, you're having him for the fantasy playoffs and I don't know if I could trust having him at that point uh, based solely on the fact that you don't know what he's going to give you because Nick Chubb in my opinion is not a slouch he, he's a very good running back he may not be Kareem Hunt in a lot of people's eyes but I think he's right there with Kareem Hunt uh, the only thing lacking is a little bit of the receiving game so Kareem Hunt I, I don't think he's much this year and in all honesty I do think that the Browns trade him uh, once we get into the 2020 season uh, do you have anything you want to add on Kareem Hunt before we move on to the trade? Well, I, I, you know, signing Hunt was definitely a wise football move. Agreed. And, you know, PR-wise, it's already died down. Yep. I, I think on the commissioner's list, is he able? is Hunt able to – play and practice in the preseason or is he out for that too he's out for that too you're not uh, from my understanding i could be wrong on this I, I did a little bit of research on it uh but obviously i don't work in the nfl or anything like that so i don't know if this is a hundred percent true but I, from what i've read when you're on the commissioner's exempt list you are not allowed to do anything now if he comes off that list and just gets put on the suspension list i believe then he's allowed to do stuff in the preseason and training camp but then once the nfl season starts he has to go away again so it'll be interesting to see when he comes off the exempt list but when you're on the exempt list from my understanding you're not allowed to do anything at all so then dorsey being the shrewd player that he is is going to try to get the the case resolved 
prior to the beginning of training camp. Yeah, that would be my then assumption. Hunt will be with the team all through training camp and preseason. He'll be able to get his playbook, get installed, and then he goes away for for a game. I think it's going to be an eight game suspension. Uh-huh. Um, I think even if it gets reduced, it gets reduced from something greater to eight games. So, and like you said, two to three weeks to get in football shape. Now we're in week 12, 13. Then he ends up, uh, unless Chubb gets hurt or they trade Duke Johnson, uh-huh. he's, he's going to be a Cameron Artist Payne. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to just all of a sudden, oh, you're, you're back now, you're going to start splitting time with Chubb. They're going to want to put him in uh, positions to show that he's valuable so that they can, A, trade him, or B, somebody signs him and they get a compensatory pick. But, you, you know, you can't, you, I don't think you can have too many good running backs. And with Chubb, Hunt, and Johnson, I would, I would argue that that's probably the best running back trio in the NFL. Uh, I would from agree a with you. Perspective. Yeah, I would agree with you. And that'll be interesting to see what happens with Duke because – Obviously, as you touched on earlier, there's a lot of rumors that they'll trade him. I don't think that they're going to trade him during the offseason. I think at worst he gets moved at the deadline. I know he's got a decent-sized cap hit for us right now, but uh, my thing is you can't trade him right now unless you're planning on drafting some running backs, which they might. I can't say that they won't. They've got a lot of draft picks that we're about to get into. Uh, But if you move Duke Johnson now, again, you know you're not going to have Kareem Hunt for at worst you know, eight games. You know, you're likely looking at anywhere from six to ten games is, is what everybody's throwing out there. So now you're looking at just running Nick Chubb, and I don't think that you can do that. So I think the, the smarter move is to move Duke Johnson at the trade deadline see what you can get from him, especially because you know someone's going to likely lose a running back at some point just based on the way the NFL works with injuries and everything. So some team's going to likely be a little bit desperate. Maybe they'll overpay a little bit for Duke Johnson. So I would imagine that's what they do. At least that's what I would do. We'll see what happens with them. And then I agree with you on Kareem Hunt. Uh, you know, I've said multiple times, I don't think that they're going to end up keeping him. Uh, we obviously know how infatuated with Nick Chubb John Dorsey is. He's raved about him. He moved Carlos Hyde just to make sure Nick Chubb played. So uh, I think that Kareem Hunt is eventually going to get moved, whether they trade him or maybe they put a first or second round tender on him next year. And so once the team signs him, they get a first or second round pick. And again, as you pointed out, for me, if that's what happens, that was a brilliant football move because you just pretty much bought a draft pick for a million dollars, which is pretty much what they did a couple years ago with Brock Osweiler. They bought that second round pick for whatever it was. I can't remember. I think it was like 12, 12, yeah, I was going to say $12 million, which was a great move on their part at the time because they had so much cap space. They got the second round pick. It was a great move by Dorsey, and I think that's exactly what he did here. So moving on to the big trade. They traded Kevin Zeitler for Olivier Vernon. I know you were talking about the Corbett side of it. Um, I do worry a little bit about Corbett because, uh, as you pointed out, he struggled a little bit last year. But I think that the fact that they were willing to do it speaks to the uh, the confidence they have in him. So we'll see what happens. Um, I was a little bit hesitant on losing Zeitler because I thought toward the end of the year last year that offensive line really came came together. Uh, Greg Robinson, I think, solidified that left tackle spot. Um, and we saw, I think it was like a three-game stretch where Baker did not get sacked. So that offensive line was playing awesome together. Um, so moving one of those guys, I think, is a little bit of a risque move. But I, I believe in John Dorsey. I think he's doing a good job. So if he believes in Austin Corbett, I'm going Corbett, I'm to go right in there and believe it with him. I loved getting Olivier Vernon. To put him on the other side of Miles Garrett, and now you have Emmanuel Ogba on that defensive line too. I think that is a scary-looking defensive line. Um, you know, I, I saw a lot of stuff on there on Twitter yesterday about how Olivier Vernon kind of gives up on some plays and everything, and, and and that is what it is. But when you have a guy like him and Miles Garrett rushing the passer, and you get a little bit of cap relief as well in bringing him in and moving on Zyler, I think brilliant move, brilliant trade. Little disappointed that it wasn't Odell Beckham because that's what I was hoping we were going to get, mostly because I'm such a big fan of Odell. Um, but I think it was a phenomenal trade, home run move again by John Dorsey here, bringing in Olivier Vernon to pair opposite of Miles Garrett. Do you have anything else you want to add uh, on the trade besides what you, you touched on earlier? 
Uh, I, I think bringing in Vernon was a smart move. Uh, Emmanuel Ogbao is a good player, but Vernon is better. Yeah. We're kind of in that mode right now where Dorsey is replacing inherited guys with his guys. So Zeitler was signed by the previous administration, and good or not, he was signed by the previous administration to a really big contract. Dorsey's saying, well, I don't think I need to spend that much money there. I'm going to move him, and I'm going to bring in a defensive end to, that's better than the guy that was drafted by the previous administration. Um, it's going to give me good depth. I think that's the challenge that Duke Johnson faces is he's not Dorsey's guy. I don't think we want to go into next season with Hunt suspended and Dontrell Hilliard and Devontae Mays as our backup running backs. So I wouldn't move Duke my, myself. But that's neither here nor there talking about Vernon and Zeitler. I want to make sure if, if I'm Dorsey, I know I need to have a strong offensive line. Moving Zeitler, I don't know if it does that. But I also know I need to improve my defensive line. And the Giants needed better offensive line line play. It's gonna a lot of it's gonna depend on is Greg Robinson able to take the next step? Because yeah, he went on a three game stretch without giving up uh, any sacks, but how many holding penalties did he have in that stretch? So there's a little bit of give and take there. Uh, I don't have that number. It's more of yeah, a rhetorical question. Yeah, I got you. I was going to say, I have no idea. <laughs> but it, it feels like there, there was a, a, a little bit of, but there was a, a, an above average amount of holding penalties that happened there. You got Batonio at, at left guard, Treader at center. So Corbett's going to slot in at the right guard spot. He's going to have to do at least as good as Zeitler for it to be considered a, a good trade. Mm-hmm. Now, they believe in his talent. They, If they didn't, they wouldn't have given him a shot at left tackle last year. But left tackle isn't his spot. He's an interior lineman. And right. while he gave it his all and they all talked a good game, the fact that they brought in an undrafted free agent in Desmond Harrison that uh, hadn't played football in over a year to replace uh, Corbett tells you exactly what they really thought about his ability as a left tackle. So I think it's a win-win trade. Yeah. As long as as, as long as Vernon stays healthy, then he's going to put up numbers, and it gives between Garrett, Vernon, and Ogba, that, that's a really good threesome at defensive end. And yeah. I, I think Ogba's pretty big. He might even be able to drop inside on passing downs. Mm-hmm. So there, there's definitely... Definitely positives to the move. Uh, I have heard, uh, I saw on Twitter probably a week, two weeks ago, a little something about Schobert maybe not being a fit for Wilkes' defense. Oh, okay. And you'd mentioned the potential of Kirksey being uh, let go. Yeah. So I think that, you know, when you bring in a new coach, if, if it's not a 3-4 guy being replaced by a 3-4 guy, if it's you know a 3-4 guy being replaced by a multiple front guy, there's always going to be some churn. Schobert and Kirksey both have been very productive. So I feel like letting both of them or maybe even one of them go might not be the best move. But then again, I'm a podcaster and not a defensive coordinator. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the one thing I'll say about Schobert, because um, I, I did see that as well, I, I think that he'll be all right because I think he's just that talented. I think he's shown over the past couple years uh, that he is a phenomenal phenomenal uh, linebacker, so I don't think that will be an issue for him, but we'll see. He, I would be sad to see him go because I, I love the way that he's played the past couple years. Um, and on Ogba, really quick, I think that the reason it's a, it's a great move, as you were just saying with Vernon and Garrett, is because I think Ogba is much more of the, the run stuffer. I think that he's he's going to be there, that guy that kind of eats up stuff in the middle and allows Vernon and Garrett to kind of rush the passer. So it's going to be a very interesting uh, move to see how well it plays out, uh, obviously, in this coming season. So for the draft pick, their biggest team needs are cornerback, linebackers, we've just been touching on, which I think is really their biggest team need is linebacker. 
and then some offensive line help. Um, again, with the move of Zeitler, now you've kind of taken your depth away and having to put Corbett in there as your starter, so they need to add a little bit more depth on the offensive line. Uh, they do pick at 17 and have 12 total picks altogether, two-thirds, three-fifths, and three-sevenths. Your thought on how they should attack the draft this year? Well, I would be surprised if they made 12 picks. Um, I probably expect them to make eight or nine at most. So they're going to be moving around some. I almost would like to see them drop back from 17 just because there are some decent offensive linemen that you could get at uh, at the end of the first round, beginning of the second round. Agree completely. So depending on how the, how the draft falls, you know, if they could drop back and pick up Dalton Risner in the late first or – or uh, Bradbury, the center, um, that would be great. Or even if, if Cody Ford drops some, the guard out of Oklahoma, those are all some real good options. At 17, I think drafting uh, any of the three of them isn't a, a unreasonable stretch. I think Ford slots in as the highest ranked of the three. But Risner looked really, really good at the at, uh, in his workouts. Showed real good footwork. Bradbury's... Uh, a lot more athletic, and you know, Treader's getting up there, and Batonio's been around a while, and so improving depth at the offensive line and bringing in talented people is always uh, a good thing. Now, I think the the one thing uh, they lack in wide receiver is that big guy, but I I think that ends up being Injoku's realm more so than anybody else you know he's the one that's going to run those red zone corner fades uh things like that but if if they were if they grabbed somebody in the second round uh at the wide receiver position let's see picking at 49th you know you could be looking at cornerbacks like uh nasir adderley you know those are bigger cornerbacks i'm not sure i feel like I feel like bigger cornerbacks is is sort of in Wilkes's wheelhouse, so that might be a way to go in the second round. But with with the number of draft picks they have, they're gonna be they're gonna be moving around. And, and uh, Dorsey, if nothing else, when it comes to picking in the draft, you know the dude comes in big dick swinging, and he's like, I know more than everybody else, and I'm gonna we're gonna make these moves because I'm smarter than everybody else. Yeah. And I think last year's draft kind of showed, you know, it's not that easy to argue with him. He's a, he's a pretty good drafter. Yeah. So it's a, he's a good talent evaluator, and he puts scouts in position that he trusts to give him the information he's looking for. There's a part of me that's like, you know what? Make all 12 draft picks. Let me see what you can do. <laughs> but there, there's also that part of me that says, well, if I can throw you a, a sixth-round pick and move up 20 picks in the third round, then why shouldn't I? Yeah, and, and I'm right there with you. I would not be surprised to see some trades out of them during the draft this year. I can, all, in all honesty, see them possibly even moving up some in the first. While everybody else is trying to get these quarterbacks and move around and all this stuff, I would not be surprised if they move up and try and take a, a linebacker, a stud linebacker. Um, I would love to see them do that, especially with the plethora of picks that they have. But I also wouldn't mind seeing them trade back, as you were talking about, and get some more picks this year, next year, and continue to do that. You know, in all honesty, that's what the Patriots do, and that's why they're so successful because they keep just replenishing more and more picks every single year by trading here and there to get better value later on. And as you talked about, I agree. There, I think there will be a good shot at offensive linemen, uh, some even linebackers and quarterbacks who are dropping back in the first round uh, that they can trade back for and get those guys later. They don't have to take them at 17. So I'd be interested to see if they end up doing that. Um, and, and really, I think that they should uh, – I think they have enough picks to attack all three of those positions. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up taking a running back or wide receiver as well in this draft to kind of bolster the depth there as well. I think that they, if they end up do trading Duke, as you were saying, him not being a Dorsey guy, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up taking a running back to kind of replenish that depth a little bit. And then I would not be surprised if they take a wide receiver somewhere as well in case they don't get anybody in free agency. Who is your yeah, dime? If they draft somebody like Dexter Williams out of Washington, uh-huh. um, who caught 80 passes last year in college, uh, I think we know right then and there that Duke is on his way out. 
Yeah. Well, that, there's really an interesting thing. I know uh, this this happened off air. I know you were there. Uh, obviously, me and Jerry talking. I think it was the first time we recorded. You know, it would be so amazing to see them draft someone like Paris Campbell or well, see, I don't know now. The Paris Campbell ran the, the forty that he did. I don't think he's going to fall. But there was a lot of talk of him falling third or fourth round. Uh, but I'd love to see them draft one of these really good wide receivers and see what they can do with them. And then same thing with a running back. I would, I'd love to see them draft another guy just to kind of see how he's going to maneuver the depth and everything that he builds. But who is your dynasty riser on this uh, on this offense or offense on this team? My riser is going to be Antonio Callaway. Okay. I, I think that he is a he's the he's a playmaker down the field. He's the one who can play from the outside, get intermediate, get deep, uh, and make some plays. He's got to work on his consistency with his hands, but he's a dynamic playmaker. And if he gets ninety targets this year, hundred targets, I can see him turning in a 70, 70 catch season. Uh, I want to see. I, I want to see him take that role opposite Jarvis Landry and really provide Baker with that downfield threat. He's got really good speed. He's he's a ball hawk. He knows how to go get the football when Baker throws it out there. Uh, it's going to be. Not, I'm going to enjoy watching that. That's he's he's my number one riser this year. Yeah, and then it's the same for me. I, I agree with you 100%. I think we saw it a little bit toward the end of the season there. He was really doing a better job catching the ball. Looked like he had been working on it because that's where he struggled at the beginning of the season last year was dealing with those drops. And I think that's the only thing he needs to work on. We saw him develop a little bit more chemistry with Baker as the season went on. He was going to him more often. I think he's an explosive threat. You know, we've talked about it multiple times. Had he not got the off-field issues that he did last year coming out of college, he would have been picked much higher than he was. And the Browns, John Dorsey, shown before, not just with Kareem Hunt, go back to Tyree Kill. He has no problem taking a shot on a player if he thinks that you're good enough and he thinks that he can help you with the -the off-the-field stuff because he doesn't bullshit with that stuff. And that's another thing I like about him. He's going to give you a shot. But if you do something stupid, chances are you're gone. There was a lot of talks about them possibly cutting Antonio Callaway after he got caught with the stuff that he did, but they decided to give him another chance. We'll see what happens. You know, we obviously saw what they did with Josh Gordon for so long, although Dorsey wasn't there for all of it, obviously. But, uh, you know, I, I like Callaway. I think he's he's got nothing, nowhere to go but up for this offense. Do you have a dynasty faller? You know, not really. I think because I think in as a whole, this offense – with a full season and a full off season under Freddie Kitchens and Todd Munkin and Baker, the whole offense is going to take a step up. So, you know, you mentioned Higgins being more of a deep league guy. You know, we play in a lot of leagues together. We play in leagues with where you have two, three, four flexes. You start three receivers and you have two flexes. So Higgins is going to, I think he's going to provide more consistency there. Uh, across the board, I think uh, Njoku is going to get more red zone looks, which is going to boost him up. And he's he's an extremely athletic player. So it's hard to pick somebody, in my opinion, as a faller because the entire offense is going to be lifted up at least one level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I was, I was trying to pick someone. I think um, Njoku, someone, Njoku and Landry are two that I could see taking maybe a small step back next season. Uh, I love Njoku. I think he's a phenomenal player, but it does seem at times with some of the things that I've seen and read that they've soured on him a little bit with the drops and uh, the injuries that he suffered the past couple seasons. I would not be surprised if they don't draft a tight end as well, maybe to come out there and compete with him. If that happens, I could see him, again, tight end, not really a good position for fantasy anyway, so I don't think he takes a huge step back. I could see that a little bit. And then Landry, if Callaway ends up becoming what I think he is and what you think he is, I think that will hurt Landry a little bit because, uh, as we've seen from Baker, he's not someone who's going to target you to target you. He's going to go to the open guy, and if Callaway can start getting open on a more consistent basis, I think Callaway's going to get the ball a little bit more often, so that could hurt Landry's numbers a little bit. But for the most part, I agree with you. I, I don't think that anybody's going to take some significant step back that they're worth worried. You should worry about trading them now or anything like that, which is what our usual talk is for the Dynasty Fallers. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is 8-Bit Ray from the Gorilla Brain Podcast, part of the Pulse Podcast Network. Did you know that you could be using this spot to advertise your company or business? 
Well, I've done the research and podcastinsights.com report that podcast listeners are loyal, affluent, and mostly college educated, but most importantly, are five times more likely to interact with the ad they hear on their favorite podcast than an ad from any other medium. If you would like to advertise your company or brand with our network, it's simple. All you have to do is send an email to marketing at pulsepodcastnetwork.com. I'll say it one more time marketing at pulsepodcastnetwork.com and we hope to hear from you soon so moving on to the cincinnati Bengals, they had an interesting season last year obviously suffered some serious injuries with uh andy dalton and aj green which really kind of hurt this offense um i think really kind of led them to that six and ten season that they had do you think that it is time for them to move on from andy dalton i don't know if it's time to move on but i certainly think Marvin Lewis or no Marvin Lewis, we know what Andy Dalton's ceiling is. So if you're looking at it, if I'm Zach Taylor and I'm looking at it and I think, you know, what am I going to do? You know, do I want this guy to be my quarterback? Do I want to bring somebody in? I don't think they, I, I don't think there's a trade market for him coming off of the injury. So unless they're willing to just cut their losses and go. It's, it's going to be, uh, I mean, he has a $16 million cap hit. You know, it, it looks like that might be the, that might, that's the only thing they'd be on the hook for if they cut him. So it, it could be that it could be time. If you trade him, where are you going to trade him to? You know, the Redskins went out and got Case Keenum. Yeah. Uh, I know that was one of the, uh, that would have been the spot destinations. For me. Yeah. What's that? Oh, so that would have been the spot for me. Had I been trying to trade Andy Dalton, that's who I would have reached out to would have been the Redskins. Right, because they have, you know, J- Jay Gruden who coached him. Yeah. Um, he, it would seem like a, a, a fit for the, the Redskins patchwork mentality. But Miami's potentially could be looking for a quarterback. Uh, uh, Jacksonville is looking for a quarterback. Is there places for him? It's going to be a competitive market. So... I don't think that they'll be able to really trade him for much. So I, I expect he'll be back. Yeah. I also expect them to draft a quarterback. I don't think they believe Jeff Driscoll is the answer uh, or is their quarterback of the future. But Driscoll's a replacement-level player. So spending some capital on a quarterback this year might make sense. But they may also decide, you know what, we're going to roll with Dalton and Driscoll. And we'll get in the quarterback market next year because, as you know, in 2020, every position is so much better than this year. Yeah, that's what they say. Yeah, um, we're right there in lockstep, so there's really not much to add to that. Uh, I'm a little bit more torn on if they should move on from Andy Dalton. I do think that he's a competent quarterback. He's shown that he can be – right up there in like the mid-tier quarterbacks in the league um you know he's never been that bad he's been very consistent in my opinion if you go back and look at his stats you kind of know what you're going to get out of him uh but i do think that they're going to likely draft a quarterback this year now whether that's to become a backup to help andy dalton or eventually be his replacement i don't know for sure but i couldn't i do imagine that they're going to do something possibly bring in a guy that zach taylor wants instead of andy dalton We'll see, but uh, I could see it happening either way. I, I just don't uh, – I agree with you. That with the way that the Redskins already went out and got Case Keenum, I don't see much of a market for Dalton. So I do think that in the end they're going to be kind of stuck with him at least for this year, and we'll see if they draft a quarterback this year or if they wait till the 2020 to find his replacement. With uh, with Andy Dalton and A.J. Green returning to fo- – will they return to form after injuries last year? And uh, do you think will uh, – or do you think Joe Mixon and Tyler Boyd will take another step forward with those two coming back as well? Well, I definitely think that Green and Boyd make a really nice pair of wide receivers. Agree. But I think Green's foot injury, uh, and and I I believe he injured it initially at Georgia, mm-hmm. and it's just it's just one of those things he's dealt with over the years. And as you get older, uh, those things start to nag a little longer and a little longer. So having Boyd to take some of the pressure off him I think is going to make Green help Green to extend his career I do expect Green to return to form I also expect him to probably miss a couple games this year Um, Boyd I think is showing to be the one receiver out of that class that everybody was so high on uh, to be the one that's the real deal 
we hear a lot in, in fantasy football that it takes two to three years for for a wide receiver to hit their stride, and we're all sitting back looking at Corey Coleman, Laquan Treadwell, and, and Tyler Boyd and wondering, is this the year? Is this the year? Well, Boyd was the only one of them that actually took that step in year three. Right. So he's he's looking at looking at it now, going into year four, realizing that he needs to play. He's playing for his next contract. You know, Coleman's already been on seven teams, uh, though he did get tendered by the Giants. So and Laquan Treadwell, uh, well, he showed a little bit last year. Uh, I did expect him to. Um, not get beaten out by Aldrick Robinson for the third wide receiver role in Minnesota. Yeah. So I think Treadwell. I don't think Treadwell is going to get that fifth year option picked up by the Vikings. Uh, he he'll play out the rest of his rookie contract, be a free agent next year. You know, he just never never developed. So Boyd is the guy. He came on last year, and while he did struggle a little bit with AJ Green out um, and becoming the focus of the defense. This year is the year that he's going to take that next step and really show that he's ready to be the successor. He's going to be he's going to be the Julio Jones to Roddy White. So when AJ Green finishes up here, uh, Boyd's ready to start stepping up into that that role like Julio did. Um, AJ will move down to the wide receiver two for a few years and finish out his career in Tampa. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bad joke. <laughs> no, no, that's good. Uh, yeah, I agree with you on Tyler Boyd. I think um, he's he obviously took a big step forward last year. Um, again, mostly with Green there. He did struggle a little bit, obviously, when Green was out. Uh, but he did still have some good games when, uh, when Green was out. So it'll be interesting to see how he continues to progress and move forward. But I think having A.J. Green there to help mentor him um, and play alongside him is just going to help continue his development. Um, I do think that Dalton and A.J. Green will bounce back fairly well from their injuries. I agree with you. A.J. Green likely is going to miss at least a game or two. That's kind of been the trajectory he's been on the past couple seasons. Um, Dalton, again, I've already talked about. He's been consistent every year, so as long as he comes back and the thumb's good to go, I imagine he'll be putting up around the same numbers um, that he has been. Um, And on the last guy, um, and maybe it's I I worded the question badly, so uh, I'll get your thoughts on on Joe Mixon. Uh, Do you think that he can take a step forward as well uh, with Tyler Boyd and moving himself, kind of becoming the new key pieces of this offense? Yeah, I love Mixon. I think he's an extremely talented guy. Mm -hmm. And as long as they have a balanced offense and you can't key on him, it's gonna it's gonna definitely give him opportunities. Now they have a they after the year they let Andrew Whitworth go to the Rams, they let like three of their five off, starting offensive linemen leave, and it was just a nightmare. Yeah, and I, I believe that was Mixon's rookie year. Well, they went out and they got Cordy Glenn, and they've drafted Billy Price and. So they've they've been restocking that offensive line, and I think that bodes well for Mixon. If Billy Price can stay healthy all year, he 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 was really he showed himself to be quite the stud center um, when he was healthy last year. So if he can stay healthy with Bowling at left guard, Glenn at left tackle, that left side of that offense um, could really open up some holes for them. So I I expect Mixon to uh, take another step forward. The downside of it is that Mixon's pass-catching ability, I think, is going to render Gio Bernard uh, an afterthought. Yeah, I agree with you. And it'll be interesting to see uh, how the offense is going to be called. We're about to get into that, obviously, with uh, with Zach Taylor. But I think Joe Mixon has a shot to be a full workhorse in every three down back. Um, and I do like Mixon as well. I think he's going to – I know last year was a decent – not I shouldn't even say decent. Last year was a very good season for him. Um, some people would say that he broke out. I think this is the year that he is going to break out, break out. I think he's going to have a phenomenal year this year, and a lot of people are going to be uh, happy if they drafted him in the second round because uh, I think he's going to end up producing uh, as an RB1. So they hired uh, Zach Taylor, obviously, after letting Marvin Lewis go after he's been there for, I think, since the Mesoic era. It's been a while. He's been with yeah. Cincinnati for quite a long time. Uh, so they finally decided to bring in some new blood, some fresh blood, in Zach Taylor. Um, and he has come out and said that he will call his own plays. Now, 
I don't think he's ever called plays before. I could be wrong on that, so I'm interested to see how that works with his offense. He obviously comes from the Golden Boy, Sean McVay. Um, obviously, everybody's going to assume that that's the type of offense that they're going to run. I'm not quite sure that that's what's going to happen, um, but I'm interested to see how it works. I don't really know how it's going to change everything because I don't know what kind of offense it'll work, but I am intrigued. Your thoughts on Zach Taylor? Taylor's going to need to figure it out quickly. His offensive coordinator is Brian Callahan, who's Bill Callahan's son. So they're off, Jim Turner is their O-line coach, and he's a veteran. But they really struggled to find somebody to lead their defense. Nobody seemed to want that job. Now, part of it was it was so late. Uh, all the good guys were essentially committed to other teams. Um, he's a first-year, very – I mean, he – he makes Freddie Kitchen, Kitchens look like he's really experienced. So, you know, it, it's going to be it, – it, it is definitely an experience in taking a risk, uh, an experiment in taking a risk when you bring in Zach Taylor as your head coach because you just don't know, is he going to be able to pull it off? It's an it's a inexperienced team, uh, coaching staff up and down. Uh, nobody was a former – uh, NFL head coach on this team. Yeah. So and and he goes to the Bengals, who are the cheapest team when it comes to employing scouts and employing personnel people. So that means that a lot of that pressure is going to fall on Zach Taylor. So he's he's going to essentially be the GM there. I mean, Bill Tobin is their quote unquote personnel ex- executive. Taylor is going to have a lot of responsibility. He's going to have to figure out who fits his system, what they can do, get them into the positions to be successful. So uh, I don't expect them to win the division by any stretch. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I I would imagine they're going to... uh... For the next couple years, they're probably looking at last place in this division with the way the other three teams are heading. Um, The one thing I think is good for Zach Taylor is what we just talked about, the fact that Marvin Lewis has been with the team so long. I don't see this as Zach Taylor. If he doesn't succeed in the next couple years, um, he's going to be fired. I think this is something that when they brought him in that he knew and that they've kind of had that whole thing together, you're going to have some time to build this up and build it the way that you want it. Uh, So I do think that that these Bengal fans have that to look forward to, that if if Zach Taylor is going to be as good as they think he is, and, and other people were high on Zach Taylor, was not just the Bengals, um, that this team will be something in the next couple years, but it's likely going to take a couple years to get there because he's going to have to pretty much rebuild this from the bottom, redo the whole foundation, uh, and build this team in his image. At least for this year, they don't really have a lot of key free agents. They have some decent... Um, cap space with 50 mil so we'll see if they make any big moves out there but really the only big name free agent coming out this year is Tyler Eifert who I have always been a big fan of I think he's very talented his biggest issue is obviously staying healthy your thoughts on on and if they should bring do you think they should bring Tyler Eifert back I mean I'd imagine you could get him pretty cheap Uh, obviously the biggest thing will just be can he actually get back on the field and help you and earn some of that money I, I like you I'm a fan of Eifert's game but I, I just don't think he's worth bringing back. C.J. Uzoma showed himself to be a capable tight end. And he also had the best ability of any of the tight ends on the Bengals roster, and that was availability. Since Uzoma can stay healthy and be on the field, I mean, maybe you take a flyer on a minimum contract for Eifert, but if I'm Taylor, uh, I'd probably, I've got 10 draft picks. I'm going to bring in some other people. Fifty million in cap space. Let Eifert go, and maybe you know, wish him the best. Hope he gets healthy and stays healthy for a couple more seasons. But I, I wouldn't bet my money on Eifert staying healthy. He just, and it's not like they're they're always football injuries. They're, some of the injuries are fluky, but yeah, I think there's enough history there to warrant moving on from him. Yeah, and I don't disagree with you. It'll be interesting to see what they do with him. Like I said, he's a phenomenally talented tight end. He has a chance to be, I think, right up there with Kittle, Ertz, and Kelsey at the tight end position. He just he can't stay healthy, and that that's unfortunate to see someone so talented as he is kind of be hindered by that. 
Um, you just touched on they have 10 draft picks. They, they're picking at 11 this year. Um, uh, their biggest needs are linebacker and offensive line. You were talking about them having to kind of rebuild their offensive line as they let a bunch of those guys go. Andrew Whitworth. I know Zeitler was actually one of them as well, came over to Cleveland. Um, what, what do you expect them to do when it comes to the draft? Do you think it's going to be a – kind of a, a litany of everything or do you think uh you know as you were talking about he obviously needs to identify who his guys are going to be you expect it to be offensive heavy defensive heavy your thoughts i believe taylor has a profile for the type of players he's going to need at each position and if i'm cincinnati and i'm picking at 11 and devin white from lsu falls to me i'm taking devin white he's he's a really good player and he fits uh, one of my team's biggest needs. That would be a no-brainer pick for me. Unfortunately, if White's not there, I could see that front office doing something like drafting Drew Locke, who doesn't pan out because he can't hit the wide receiver uh, or something like that. Now, there's there's plenty of talent available at 11, but I think the safest pick for them, if he's there, would be to take Devin White and then uh, look later in the draft for some other positions and, and to, to staff up what are their needs again linebacker offensive lineman yeah so if I'm if I'm looking in the second round for an offensive lineman you know the chance they don't need Jenkins who's a center El, Elgin Jenkins out of Mississippi State but they could bring him in and maybe move price over to guard uh, Caleb McGarry out of Washington could potentially be available there. Mock draft I'm looking at shows Andre Dillard available after that, but I don't think he's going to be there. I think he'll go late first. Yeah, uh, I would imagine that they're going to attack linebacker there. Um, I agree with you on uh, White. I think he's he's a fen- he would be a phenomenal pick there if he gets there. I don't think that he would, but we'll see what happens. Uh, other than that, I wouldn't. Have, I would not be surprised if they just do a little bit of everything in this draft. You know, ten picks. I could see them possibly trading, but I would not be surprised if Zach Taylor just takes these picks and runs with it. Goes into exactly what you were talking about. Tries to identify his guys and just starts building this roster up from the bottom. Getting offensive line help. Maybe get some more um, wide receivers because you really don't have anybody outside of uh, Boyd and AJ Green, in my opinion. Maybe take a tight end. Uh, I think they're t- pretty good at running back. I, I like. Walton coming out last year. You got Walton and uh, uh, G- G- my goodness, I was going to call him Gigo, but Giovanni Bernard uh, backing up Joe Mixon, and we both think Mixon's going to be a stud. So I think that they're good there as well. So I, th- I imagine they'll go probably pretty defensively heavy at that point. All right, so now we've got our dynasty riser. Do you have a dynasty riser on this roster? I definitely like Boyd and Mixon to take another step. Um, they're going to be the, they're going to have to be the focus. Uh, AJ Green is going to do what AJ Green does, but Mixon is going to push Giovanni Bernard out, and it's going to be uh, the Joe Mixon show. Wouldn't surprise me to see an 80-20 split uh, in the backfield. So uh, along with Mixon taking that that next step and being a riser, you know, Boyd is going to be. I expect to have. The target share to be split more 50-50 between Boyd and and Green. And since the the Bengals have put some recent money into their offensive line, they're going to need to – I think they're going to be playing catch-up, which is going to bode well for guys like Tyler Boyd in their offense. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think Tyler Boyd is the big one. I mean, obviously, we pretty much saw the breakout season from him last year, but I think he can even take another step forward. And especially if he gets that 50-50 share like you were just talking about, then I think he's going to take a huge step forward, possibly even pass A.J. Green uh, this year, as you were talking about earlier, and becoming the wide receiver one on this team. Uh, my little sleeper on this roster is is Mark Walton. I do think that uh, he's better than Giovanni Bernard. I do think he has a chance to kind of come out there, become the receiving back, and maybe even possibly spell Joe Mixon at times. Um, I think he has a chance to kind of jump up into that uh, bottom tier RB2, top end RB3 territory starting this year. Uh, I was big on him coming out last year. Uh, He showed a little bit of splash at times, and I think if he finally is able to overtake Giovanni Bernard on this roster, he could uh, really start making a name for himself. Uh, Do you have a faller on this roster? No, because I think they don't really have anywhere to go but up. But I, I thoroughly disagree with the Mark Walton take. I, I just don't think Walton's very good. Okay. And uh, 
I definitely don't think he's better than Giovanni Bernard. I think he's he's a less athletic, slower Giovanni Bernard. Yeah, that's my two cents. That's all right. So your so your dynasty follower is Mark Walton. I got you. All right. Um, my dynasty follower. You I'm right fall, there with you. You can't fall when you're on the floor, Chief. Well, that's well, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe he stands back up and falls back down. We'll see. Um, <laughs> maybe. Uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. I don't. I don't think there's really anywhere else for this team to go. Um, in all honesty, you know, Mixon didn't have a bad year for as bad as the team was. AJ Green was having a good year. Obviously, the same thing with Tyler Boyd. So I don't see any of these guys taking a real step back. I mean, I guess technically it could be for me Giovanni Bernard because I think Mark Walton could beat him out. So that'll be an interesting thing for for us to watch throughout the year to see who kind of gets proven right on that fact. Because I do think Walt. I think Walton's a very good back. Um, but obviously one of us will have to be wrong. I don't see that how that could possibly be tied like me and uh, Jared were on Isabella and uh, Paris Campbell. So that'll be interesting to see play out. Uh, but that will do it right there, guys, for our NFC North. Uh, NFC North, my goodness, Matt Bruni, AFC North Division Breakdown. Um, I appreciate you guys so much for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It would mean a lot to me and Dennis if you could do it. Um, and obviously, again, guys, we recorded this um, – ahead of time so you guys will be hearing from us again here in about a week uh we will be talking about free agency as it'll be pretty i would imagine it starts up we're we're recording this i'll just be honest it's a saturday uh saturday the 9th so you've got free agency starts in just a couple days so by the time me and dennis start recording again uh we'll be a good four or five days into free agency so we should have a lot of news that we'll be able to get with you guys on uh and i cannot wait to get with you dennis and start talking about that because uh, just all the trades we've already seen that can't technically be completed yet all the rumors we've seen there's likely going to be a lot of interesting stuff going down and then obviously follow me and dennis on twitter because we'll be talking about it throughout then as well i'll still be able to be on twitter and, and go back and forth with dennis and everybody else uh we just won't have a a new podcast up technically up until that date but Dennis let everybody know where they can find you on Twitter so they can talk free agency with you and talk about any articles you've got coming out soon right on I am at uh, culture underscore coach on Twitter uh, I'm always uh, out there talking probably spending more time than I should at least according <laughs> to my wife and kids uh, I write for dynastynerds.com and I'm working on a series of articles about ideal landing spots for the top three to five players at each fantasy-relevant position. And uh, the first one I'm working on is the running backs, and it should be coming out pretty soon. I'm going to wrap those up before the draft. So uh, uh, we'll see if I'm uh, see how accurate I am gotcha. in calling those positions. You can find me on this fabulous podcast, the Sports, Fan- Sports Fanatic MB, on the Pulse Podcast Network at PulsePodcastNetwork.com. That's right, and definitely make sure to check out that website as well. They've got a lot of other great podcasts. Probably not as good as ours, but you know we do like to support our family here. So definitely check that out. Check those guys out when you're not listening to us, and also check out our merchandise. We've got a lot of great stuff up on there. Um, you know, sweatshirts, everything we've we've done, and again. Uh, We've got some new stuff coming out just for the fans of the podcast here that me and Dennis are both excited uh, to talk about with you guys. Hopefully, it will be ready to be released, and we can talk about it by the next time we record with the free agency stuff. But I don't know for sure if that will happen, but it's leaning that way, and we both are very excited about that. It was was kind of a cool little idea that came came. Came to to, the, to realization between the two of us, and we're both excited to put that out there for the fans uh, of, of the podcast. So can't wait to get to talk about that. But, Dennis, have a great weekend, and I look forward to talking to you again next week about free agency. Right on. Have a fantastic day. Prepare for glory! I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. If you got your popcorn ready. I came out the wrong line ready. And he's hit the end zone! Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me. Golly. Oh.